Uh, you can open up your Bible to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6. We're going to be taking a one-week break from the book of Hebrews. We'll jump back into it uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, as we gather together back in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, but with it being Father's Day, we wanted to take one Sunday and, and preach from a, a separate text that's more directly addressing fathers. Uh, I forgot to say one thing when I came up at the beginning of the service. It was a simple welcome to you if you are a guest with us. Uh, if you, Especially if you live here locally. I know there may be some of you who are out of town visiting for Father's Day. We're grateful that you are here. Hope that you benefit from your time with us and that we can minister to you. But if you live here locally, especially, and be interested maybe in learning more about ongoingly what our church is like, how we operate, what we believe, uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. And so out where there are donuts at the counter later, if you want to take uh, what we call the connection card that's on the back of that program you received as you came in and head to the donuts, uh, I'll try to make my way back there as well. Uh, but there'll be some folks who'd love to uh, give you a gift, a little bag uh, from our church to say thank Thanks for uh, worshiping with us, and we'd love to start to get to know you uh, in the days and the weeks ahead, uh, Lord willing. You could also fill it out digitally if you want. If that's simpler, follow that QR code. We'll follow up with you that way. Um, all right, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. We're just going to look at one verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, but I wanted to begin actually with uh, a tweet of all things that I saw a couple months ago. Uh, there's a, a guy, he's a funny follow on social media uh, named Stephen Altrogi. Uh, some of you may know who he is, but probably not many of you. Um, but he uh, tweeted this thing as, as we were getting closer to Mother's Day. He, made, he shared a tweet about the difference between how churches address people on Mother's Day and how they address people on Father's Day and the sermons in particular. And I tried to get a screenshot of it. Um, I don't know if you can see it, but if not, I'll read it to you. Uh, but I thought this was funny and, and accurate in some churches, but I hope not in ours. Uh, he said, Mother's Day sermons. Moms, we honor you. You are special. Here's a flower. We did muffins, not flowers, but you get the feel of it, like very deferential, respectful, uh, loving. And then he said, Father's Day sermons. Buckle up because I'm about to open up a big can of how you are failing as a dad. Here's a Slim Jim that costs 99 cents. Uh, and what he's getting at there is that often we're really kind and compassionate towards moms, sometimes maybe to a fault where we're not willing to challenge them, but often we're the opposite with dads where we are harsh and hard on them and just turn the screws in on dads uh, and try to... Uh, Give them law to keep rather than grace to motivate them. Uh, and I, today, I have no intention of opening up any cans uh, for the, the dads in the room. I do intend, uh, with God's help, to address the fathers in the room, uh, including myself and present, future dads. Um, but I do not at all intend, and I don't think God would intend through this text, to berate you uh, or to be overly harsh with you. And I do want to talk some in the course of this sermon about our failures as dads, certainly, um, but but not without talking about God's forgiveness for us as fathers, right? That he provides for us in Christ, and certainly not without giving you a Godward vision of what godly fathering looks like, what it, what it should be like, what it can be like with the Spirit's help. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 this morning. I want to give some context before I read this verse, though, because we're jumping into a letter you may not know anything about. But if you were here with us last week when we were continuing through Hebrews, another letter in the New Testament, we came up to Hebrews 12, kind of the middle part of that chapter, and it was a a text about the fatherly discipline of God, uh, how he brings painful discipline to us who are his children. It stings, but later it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And if you were here, you remember that text built a really strong connection between our Heavenly Father 
and our earthly fathers, that there's things we can learn about those by looking at the other. Uh, there's a strong connection. Today we're going to come to this text, Ephesians 6, chapter 4, and we're going to see that this text really kind of zeroes more in, if we have the, the fatherly love, or our heavenly father, and then the earthly fathers, this text more zeroes in on earthly fathering. What does that look like? What is it supposed to, how does it flesh out in the life of a family, and the life of a man? And so we're going to focus on that, learn more about that. But in this letter of Ephesians, this was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to the church at Ephesus. Uh, and if you have read much of the New Testament, you may have noticed this before, that sometimes in these short letters that were written to churches, there's this section as you get toward the end of the letter that people have come to refer to as household codes, where they'll address like husbands and wives. And then they'll take a turn and address children and parents. And then they'll address servants and masters in their culture. And they're trying to teach them, the authors are, how do you operate within the household as Christians? How do you operate in a uniquely uh, Christian way? And so what we're picking up here is one of these verses that's within that household codes that Paul is giving to this church at Ephesus. And we're going to really focus in even more narrowly on what he's telling fathers. How are they supposed to operate within their households? Um, if you were here on Mother's Day several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Larry had even referenced the three verses that precede this, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. That's where Paul had given instruction to children in particular of to the call to obey and to honor their parents, going back all the way uh, to Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. But here he's going to address, the Apostle Paul is going to address fathers in particular. And so I want to read this verse, this short verse for us, and then we'll unpack it together. But the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continued his letter to the church at Ephesus this way in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word. This text is just one sentence, so it's far from being comprehensive instructions for dads. It's not telling us everything we need to know about fathering, but I would say it is foundational. Uh, it's a core thing, a core part of the New Testament instruction and the scripture's uh, instruction to us who are fathers. And the Apostle Paul takes one sentence in this letter uh, to take a turn and just zero in on dads. He gives them one sentence directly to them, and this is what he says to them. And so if we're a dad, or if we know dads, uh, which all of us do, I think our, our ears should perk up, and we should pay attention. What does he say in this one sentence, this, this one statement where he's addressing dads? We should uh, pay attention to it. And so I, I would summarize what he says here this way. This would be the summary of the message this morning. Is, and I am borrowing some language from John Stott, if you know who he is, but very similar language to something he wrote about this text. But I, I would summarize it very similarly to him. It's saying this, that Christian fathers are to care for their families as God the Father cares for his. That Christian fathers are to care for their families as God the Father cares for his. I want to acknowledge before we start unpacking the, the phrases of this text, I want to acknowledge that this text is going to hit you all in different ways. Half of you, at least in the room, are not men. Uh, even amongst the men, not all of us are fathers or ever will be fathers. I, if, if you are not a father or don't anticipate being a father, I don't want you to think this text isn't for you, that you can just tune out and kind of check back in next Sunday morning. Uh, this was embedded in a letter to the whole church that they were all supposed to hear, right? That they were supposed to hear what Paul would 
say to these fathers or to these future fathers, because though you may not be a father, though you may never be a father, you do, if you are a Christian, you live alongside fathers, right? You have a responsibility and a privilege to walk alongside brothers who are fathers. And I hope that this text, if nothing else for you, gives you a greater ability to encourage them. Uh, to give counsel to them, give exhortation to them, know how to pray for them, how to pray for us who are fathers in this room. And I hope this helps all of us grow in our appreciation uh, for godly men who have served in this ways, grow in our compassion for struggling fathers. I hope that this text does all those sorts of things in us. So don't check out uh, if you are not a father. But what we're going to do is going to be a little bit different uh, this morning. I'm just going to walk through phrase by phrase uh, this text and, and share a few thoughts on those particular words or phrases and we'll make our way through this entire verse. And I'll, I'll have them come up on the screen as we go. Uh, but Paul begins this text, uh, his message to fathers, with just a simple word, right? Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. I want to stop for just a moment and think through fathers. Uh, Paul addresses fathers specifically in this verse, not parents generally. That should be something that's interesting to you, right? That he doesn't say, parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This letter, uh, I'll get to that in a second, but he had the word parents to use, right? If you bump your eyes up, if you have your copy of the Bible open, jump your eyes up to verse 1. He had just used the word parents, right? He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He didn't even say fathers and mothers. He had that word right there at the ready to use where he could have just addressed parents in general, both fathers and mothers, but he chooses instead to address dads specifically, uh, to call them to something, to warn them of something and compel them towards something else. I would just note here from this text, it's important in our day and age especially, I think, to recognize that men and women are not interchangeable. Right? We are not just exactly the same. The, the world likes to teach us that there's no distinction between men and women, that, that we all just can play interchangeable parts in, in anyone's life. And we so want to emphasize humanity, which is good, that we, we try to downplay the difference between men and women. But the Apostle Paul doesn't do that. He addresses dads specifically, calls them to something specific. And I, I want to say as an aside here to the single moms uh, in the the room today. Please don't read this text, and even moms in general, who your, your uh, husband and father of your children is there and active. Uh, please don't hear this text that's addressed to fathers and think there's nothing for you to learn about parenting in there. There is overlap for sure. Uh, but, but Paul uh, gives instruction specifically to dads. And the Lord, and if you're a single mom, the Lord may use men in the church. I pray that he uses men in the church or men in your extended family to serve some of these roles in the lives of your children. But Paul unashamedly addresses addresses dads. And I would note too, just with this first word, and then we'll go quicker through these other words, I, I would note that Paul is addressing a particular type of dad, right? He's addressing Christian dads. He, he's not just writing to every dad in Ephesus, right? He's writing specifically to the church at Ephesus. If you go back to the beginning of this letter, Paul addressed this letter back in verse 1 of chapter 1. He addressed it to the saints who are in Ephesus, that's the group of people he's writing to is, hey, you all are Christians. You have, you have decided to follow Christ. God has adopted you into your family. And he's calling these Christian fathers to a specific kind of fathering, right? That, that other men in their society would not want to do nor, nor aim to do. Uh, he is specifically addressing Christian 
fathers. And that, that is my heart today. Because if we are Christian fathers, if we are men in the room who are Christian fathers, what is true of us that's not true of unbelievers is we've been adopted by our Heavenly Father, right? We have experienced grace that the unbelieving men in our community have not uh, by receiving the forgiveness and the acceptance, the, the, the welcome of our Heavenly Father. And we have been given, if we are Christians, we have been given the Spirit of God to live within us, to help us live out the family life, to help us parent our children. We have resources from our Heavenly Father that the men of our community and that the unbelieving men of Ephesus would not have had. And it's important to remember that we have a heavenly father because the way we are parented, I think this is probably true in your life, the way we are parented affects the way that we parent inevitably. Whether we like to acknowledge that or not, uh, every one of us, if we've had the privilege of becoming a parent, we start to see certain things just ooze out of us that our mom or that our dad said, or the ways that they approach things, both good and bad, they just kind of come out of us. The way we're parented affects the way we parent, uh, and that is how it should be. So if there are Christian men who are given the responsibility of parenting, the way God the Father parents us should come out in how we parent others. Even in this very letter, just in the chapter previous, chapter 5, verse 1, God had said to this whole church, he had said, be imitators of God as God's beloved children, right? So he, he's saying, you've been welcomed in as beloved children, and God has cared for you in a certain way. Imitate what his love is like. Imitate what his fathering is like. And so if we are Christian fathers, the raising of our sons and daughters should be different from the way the world parents, right? The way that should be different from the way that the unbelieving men in our community father their children. We, we should be distinct. And so he starts by addressing fathers and Christian fathers in particular. But then he gets into the meat of what he's telling them and where we'll spend more time today. He says something he wants them to avoid, right? He, Paul knows, even though he's not a father, he knows the temptation that fathers face. And any father in the room could, could speak to this, I think. Uh, he knows there's this temptation to provoke our children. And so Paul gives him this first command. He tells him, do not provoke your children to anger. Even the godliest of fathers struggle with this and are tempted toward this, need this word of caution, exhortation, uh, correction even to us to not uh, tempt our children to anger, not provoke them to anger. So I want to spend a, a moment or two on this because sin doesn't discriminate between the people who have authority and the people who are under authority, right? All people are tempted to sin. It doesn't matter what your role is in a given relationship. Every single one of us in those relationships is tempted to sin against the other. It's not just the people who have authority, and it's not just the people who are under authority. It's both. And so Paul, as he's writing these household codes, he addresses both of those people, right? He addressed husbands and he addressed wives. Right? He addresses parents and he addresses children. He addresses masters and he addresses servants. He knows that in these relationships, each of them is going to be tempted to something, to some sort of sin. None of us are exempt from it. And so here at the start of, of verse 4, he addresses dads in particular. And he says, do not provoke your children to anger. And in their day and age, this would have been a large temptation for us. It still is today. But fathers would have been tempted to provoke their children to anger. Uh, he, and it's not, hear this, it's not just the men at Ephesus who, like, they had a particular problem with this, right? You read a, a, a similar letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Read the book of Colossians. 
Chapter 3, verse 21, it's almost verbatim. Paul said to the brothers who are dads in that church, he said, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so it's both towns, both cities, all throughout time. Easily he could write to the fathers of CCC, don't provoke your children to anger, right? There was this temptation that they would face. But particularly in their culture, fathers were given a lot of power, a lot of sway over their wives and over their children. It often bred a sense of like callousness in them, a sense of seeing their children as property rather than as people where they would be blunt with their children. They'd lack compassion upon their children. They'd be domineering, those sorts of things. And they'd see their children as means to an end for themselves rather than as people to serve and to care for. And Paul knew that temptation, that they would be tempted to kind of lord it over their children and that their children in response would be tempted to, to... Sometimes outwardly, sometimes internally, just have anger that starts to grow within them as they're parented in these unhealthy ways. And we are no different... Fathers in the room, we are no different. We are still tempted to provoke our children to anger. Uh, and even if you're not a dad, your father has been tempted to provoke you to anger. And you've probably experienced that at times in his fathering. But I was trying to think about ways that this happens, just practically speaking. What are ways that we may uh, provoke anger in our children? I'm just going to list several and see if some of these resonate with you. Maybe you've experienced them. Maybe you've been the giver of them. Uh, but Think of things like this that may provoke anger. If a father is overly strict and controlling and doesn't give his children any latitude or freedom that could provoke anger. If he belittles them verbally, like cuts them down with his words that could be provoked to anger. Sometimes if he physically intimidates them, whether he means to or not, that could provoke them to anger. If he uh, falls to the temptation to, to be comparing his children to one another and trying to, in a sense, pit them against each other, that could t- provoke them to anger against their siblings. If a father is ignoring growth and evidences of grace in his kid's life, but always quick to notice struggles and sins and to point those out, that could provoke them to anger. If a father breaks the promises that he's made, right, that could provoke a child to anger. If he embarrasses them publicly to try to get them to be quiet really quick or something like that, if they, if they do something to embarrass them, that would provoke them to anger. If they stoop to being sarcastic, this is a, a thing I have felt as a dad, like a temptation, that if I'm tempted to say and be sarcastic to my children in ways I would never to a fellow adult or to someone outside of my household to try to make a point. If we pile on shame, on a child, it could provoke them to anger. If we are inconsistent in what we ask of our kids, and one day we're really stern and strict, and the other day we give tons of latitude, that could provoke them to anger. If we show no affection, if we're, this was the last one and biggest one, I think, if we are hypocritical in the things that we ask or demand of our children, but then make excuses for ourselves, will that not provoke our children to anger, uh, where they see inconsistencies in us? And you could probably uh, continue the list. Uh, But there are all sorts of ways we're tempted to provoke our children to anger. But if we're to parent like God parents, I, I, I was thinking, how has God modeled for us as earthly fathers? How has God modeled this restraint? That this, he, God is not tempted like we are, right? But he, he does have a righteous anger towards sin uh, where he could uh, 
He could punish us. He could be uh, judging of us. But God, even though he uh, has righteous anger towards sin, his interaction with his children, we looked at this last Sunday, is never one of harshness and bluntness and sarcasm. And he never breaks promises. And he, he's always faithful to us. And it doesn't mean sometimes it's not going to sting, right? And it doesn't mean that we're not going to sometimes have anger in our hearts towards him. But God does not ever provoke us to anger. Right? His, his ways are always righteous and just. God, never, God the Father never acts impulsively. Right? He never overreacts to things in our life. He, he never is harsh with us. He is always purposeful. He's always present and near to us who are his children. He always has compassion upon his children. Always. And that if you want proof of that, demonstration of that, of God's restraint of his anger... Look at the cross of Jesus. That is where you see the Heavenly Father. He laid his anger upon Christ, his wrath for sin upon Christ, so that he could have mercy and demonstrate compassion and forgiveness toward us. Uh, that his anger that could rightfully come down upon us was diverted and laid upon Christ in our place. And so toward us, he is patient, loving, gentle, not because we deserve it, uh, but because he is gracious and grants it to us. And so if we're then to respond to our children, relate to our children this way, we are to do the same. We are to restrain our anger. We are to, to bite our tongue when we're tempted to these things like sarcasm, embarrassment, uh, mocking, those sorts of things toward our children. But hear this, dads in the room. When you do, not if you fail at this, but when you do fail at this and you do provoke your children to anger, what is important for your children to see is that you are a man who is quick to confess that sin and to repent of it. Not to double down on it, not to deny it, not to justify it, not to indulge in it. Your children need to see in you a man who's in need of grace, a man who's in need of forgiveness, that's humble enough to acknowledge that you've wronged them, that, that you have hurt them, that is quick to confess it. And we as dads, must be men who call, who, I would say this way, we run to the same cross that we point our children to, right? And we do it in front of them. Like we want them to know, I am sorry that I acted that way. I was harsh to you. I, I'm sure I provoked you to anger. Please forgive me. I want to be more like my heavenly father. I want to love you like he loves me. And I need God's forgiveness. Like we need to be men who confess that, who don't just in a hardened way deny it, justify it, indulge it, but who confess it and repent of it. So he tells them first that thing to not do. Don't provoke your children to anger. But what does he tell them to do positively? Uh, if fathers possess the ability, which we do based on this text, to provoke our children to anger, what that also means is that we also have the capacity, I would say, to promote faith and godliness in our children as well, right? We can provoke anger, but we can also promote faith and godliness. So Paul gives this command in the second half of the sentence of what we are supposed to do in relation to our children. What he says is this simple phrase, he says, but bring them up. And he's going to tell us how to do that, but there's this word, bring them up. And dads, I want you to hear in this uh, a call to an active role in the life of your children, not a passive one. Right? God doesn't just say, fathers, make sure your children are brought up. Right? He tells you to do it. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Sometimes we have this image in our culture of dads, and I hope this isn't true in the church, but we have this image of dads as kind of like these passive reactors 
to things, like where we just wait till things blow up or we wait till there's something uh, that mom uh, is, is tired of or doesn't want to deal with and then we, inter- we intervene, we, we come to act. Um, but the, this call is a call to action. It's an active command that's made upon us as dads to bring our children up. We are not to outsource this, right? <laughs> like we are not to just entrust this, oh, that's what the pastors do or that's what the church staff does or that's what their teachers do or that's even what my wife does. Uh, we are called as fathers to bring our children up. And this word bring them up, it has connotations of feeding or nourishing someone. Uh, that's the idea uh, behind this word. It's a rare word that Paul uses, but the only other place in the whole New Testament he used it was right in the chapter before this. It was actually in chapter 5, verse 29, where Paul had been talking to husbands and wives, and he'd been telling husbands, love your wives in a certain way. And he said, love them even the way you love your own self, that you love your own body. And he said this to husbands. He said, No one ever hated his own flesh, but, this is the word, but nourishes it and cherishes it. That nourish word is the same one Paul uses to dads here where he says in chapter 6, raise them up. It's this word of nourishing, like feeding them, providing for them, making sure that they're cared for and able to grow up, that they have what they need to grow up. And God parents us this way right? God cares for us this way. That verse continues where where Paul wrote that. He said, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. The sentence continues, just as Christ does the church. So God toward us, God the Father toward us who are Christians, through the person of Jesus, he nourishes us. He brings us up. He makes sure that we have life and longevity that we need. God the Father does not just save us, and then leave us to our own devices, right? To just stumble through life, to just kind of figure out and hope we make it to the end. God continues to feed us. He continues to provide for us. He continues to guide us along the way. He continues to nourish us and grow us up. It's not just an installment at the beginning that then goes away. God's love for us, this bringing up of us, is not just some sentiment It's not just affection, it's actual tangible day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, care for his children, nourishing of his children. He doesn't just love us from a distance, right? I was thinking for some reason about child support in our culture today where there's dads for whatever reason that they're far, that they're distant, that they either can't be with their children or they're not allowed to be with their children, but they provide for them from afar. Uh, That is not how God the Father interacts with us who are his children. He is near to us. He feeds us. He provides for us. He helps us grow up day in and day out. That is what his love for us is like. And so Paul, telling dads to be imitators of that God, says, Raise up your children. Bring your children up. Be present with them. Be active with them. And we, in our culture, sometimes we, I think, oversimplify a dad's role to just be one of provision monetarily or economically. Like we use phrases like, well, I'm just making sure that I keep food on the table. Things like that. Making sure I keep clothes on my kid's back. But we, we have that phrase of keeping food on the table. And we think that's what dads are, uh, that's our utmost responsibility. Make sure my kids stay physically alive and healthy. That is a painfully and wrongfully low bar for us. To just make sure that our children have food and clothes. 
right? Sometimes that may be a struggle, but what this is pointing you toward is not just putting food on the table, but providing food for your children's soul. That you're actually trying to help them grow spiritually. That you're actually trying to help them know their creator, know themselves, know God's word. That you are trying to help them grow up. That is what you, are, what you are seeking to do, should do, what you're called to do as a dad is to provide in that way. Not to provide a nourishment and care for your children's soul. Our role as dads is to be one that is constructive, not just corrective right? Like we're supposed to provide them with things to know and believe and and an example to follow. We are to raise them up. We are to see that they are brought up, right? But he gives direction about how to do that. He says, bring them up in a certain way, right? Or with certain things, feed them certain things, right? He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we'll look at the of the Lord uh, here in just a moment. But he says what fathers are to provide, what they're to nourish their kids with, bring them up with, is two things, discipline and instruction. These are like twin phrases. Uh, they kind of go together, maybe two sides of the same coin, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, they, they go with one another. But discipline is a term we looked at, we saw it last week, if you were with us last week in Hebrews chapter 12. Discipline is not just correction like we think of discipline but it says broad training of children uh, of teaching them very broadly what life is to be lived like Uh, so as dads one of the things we're called to do is to help our children just broadly speaking learn right behavior learn right priorities train them to have good habits to have virtue in their character things like that we are to show them how to live That's what discipline is about, teaching them how to live as a human being, how to live as a Christian. We're very familiar, a lot of us, with Proverbs 22.6, where uh, it says to train up a child in the way he should go. That's what discipline is, like training a child to know how to live, what this is the path to live on, showing them what that is like. But instruction, that, that second phrase, that other side of the coin, instruction is more narrow, more specific. It has to do with our words. It has to do with what we say, what we speak, the things that come out of our mouth toward our children. So our instruction to our kids, part of what we're providing for them are things like encouragement, right? And exhortation or challenge of them, uh, that we're teaching them the scriptures, that we're actually reading the Bible with them. They're hearing us pray. They're hearing us talk about the good news of Jesus. We are to, with our words, give instruction, not just show them a path, but speak to them using our speech on behalf of God. And God does this to us, right? We keep saying, how has God parented us? He, he gives us discipline and instruction, right? He, he, he shows us a path to walk down. He demonstrates for us, this is what, that's what he did in the sending of Jesus. He did far more than this, but he's showing us this is what life is to be lived like. This is the picture of what the godly life is. He gives us this discipline and training But he also gives us instruction. He's not just a silent God, but he speaks to us. He gives us words to show us how to live, right? Jesus, right before he was about to go to the cross and then to ascend to heaven, he told his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, right? But he said, God the Father through me is going to send you the Holy Spirit to be a teacher of you, like to show you things, to reveal truth to you, that he's going to, the Spirit of God, if we're Christians, we have him within us to convict us, to, to challenge us, to motivate us, to compel us to keep living after the Lord. And so God provides 
provides this for us. And Christian fathers in the room, we are to provide these two things for our children. Raising them up, bringing them up. We do it with these two things, discipline and instruction. So discipline, this broad training of a child. Uh, Part of how we do that as dads, and moms can do this as well, is setting a godly example for them. That's an important part of Christian parenting, of Christian fathering, is setting a godly example, living life before their eyes in such a way they see this is what godly life looks like. I was looking over um, a booklet that uh, J.C. Ryle, a bishop, um, once wrote. Uh, It's an excellent little book. Uh, It's called Duties of Parents. And speaking of this example setting, this teaching by example, he said this. He said, children learn more by the eye than they do by the ear. No school will make such deep marks on character as home. The best of school teachers will not imprint on their minds as much as they will pick up at your fireside. Imitation is a far stronger principle with children than memory. What they see has a much stronger effect on their minds than what they are told. I love that. That does not mean we're not to tell. We are. We'll see that in a second. We are to tell them things, to teach them things. But we are also to show them as dads things by the way that we live life. Like your children are watching you. They are seeing without a word the way that you live life, the things you prioritize, the things you're quick to do, the, the places your mind runs to. They, they see how you treat people. They see how you think about situations and process things. And so part of our discipline and training of our children is setting a godly example for them, uh, seeking to live before them in a way that brings honor to the Lord. But part of that discipline too, dads, is correcting sinful behavior of our children. Uh, that, that is part of how we address. It's not just that we paint a positive picture for them in our life, but that we do address misbehavior. That is part of our role as a dad, is to help them see that this is sin, that this is wrong, that this offends God, that this leads to painful places. And I'm trying to, to show you in advance where this is leading and then point you to the cross where you can have forgiveness just like dad has received forgiveness. But this discipline of setting an example and addressing misbehavior, it is slow and painful process, right? It is not quick. It is not easy. It takes years and decades. Uh, it is a lifelong endeavor. And I just want to encourage the dads in the room uh, from my heart to yours to, to press on in it. Uh, I, that text last week, I appreciate the word later in it. It says that all discipline seems painful in the moment but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We want it to do it happen now. Uh, we want this to, to be quick, a quick process, but it's not. Like God has set this up to be a slow, lifelong process. And so we need to be disciplining, setting an example, correcting sinful behavior in our children. But the, the flip side of it, dads, is that we're to also to instruct our kids. We're to use our words to speak to them. Sometimes we idealize the strong, silent type of guys, right? Like we think uh, that that's noble, uh, that, that there should be no strong, silent types of dads, right? Christian dads. Like we should be dads who are using our words to build up our children, who, who are giving them the things that they need in order to receive spiritual life and to know how to live. Uh, so dads, a few practical things to give instruction, give words to your children. 
probably the most obvious and simple thing that we talk about all the time is to try to read the scriptures with your kids, right? Like they should hear coming out of your mouth with some regularity the word of God. Uh, they should hear that dad believes this, that he, he trusts this, that he knows this, and he wants me to as well. So you, if you are struggling with that, I'd be glad to give you some ideas of how you can do that and take some baby steps of that. Uh, one simple thing I've done with my kids, we did this yesterday. We do this once a week. I take them to get donuts on Saturdays most weeks uh, and like whatever day of the month that it is like yesterday was the 17th I give uh, the Bible if they're able to read I get the Bible out on my phone I hand it to one of them and I say hey look at these verses in chapter 17 of Proverbs and I say find one that you think you understand and read it and tell us what you think it means like what what does that mean for our life and sometimes they get it right and sometimes they don't and that's okay but we talk about it and they're these little nuggets but they see this rhythm of this is from God dad believes this and we're going to talk about it together and it's going to give guidance to how we live our life you can do small things like that it doesn't you don't need to give sermons to your kids like that that's not our role typically as dads but we can give installments of reading the bible with them trying to show them that this is god's word to us but the other things they should hear coming from your mouth one is that you are a praying dad like they should hear, part of your instruction to them is your example in praying, that they hear you pray for them, that they hear you pray for other people, they hear you thanking God for things and asking God, interceding for people in certain ways. But other things that should come out of your mouth, you should be an affirming dad of the good that you see in their life, uh, of godliness that you see in their life, even if they're not a Christian yet, but you see virtue in them, you see common grace. Be a dad who's quick to affirm and notice those things in your children. Celebrate where you see grace in their life. Don't just correct. But the, the last part about instruction that I would say of things that, that you can teach them is to involve them in the life of the spiritual community, to involve them in the life of the church. They need to hear not just from you, but they do need to hear from other people, from other men and women that they believe this. We believe this together as God's people. We all sing this together. We hear the word together. We sit under the word together. We pray together. They need to see not just that they have believing parents, but there's other men and women who believe this. There's other boys and girls who believe this. So we are to raise them in discipline and instruction. But I dare not miss the last phrase of this text because it is maybe the most important. He ends by saying to dads, he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? This is what makes Christian parenting uniquely Christian, right? It's not our technique as parents. You can learn some technique and things from unbelieving people. You can learn some things that may practically help you uh, in your life as a parent. But what you are not going to hear from secular people, from unbelieving people, is them telling you how to point your children to the Lord, uh, how to help them come to know Christ, right? This phrase, it's kind of ambiguous, this of the Lord. You could read that and interpret it all sorts of ways. What does that mean, the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Like, does it mean that we're to discipline and instruct like Jesus did? Like, is that what of the Lord means, that we do it like him? Or does it mean that discipline and instruction should be about him? Uh, it could mean that. Uh, does it mean that our discipline and instruction should be toward him it could mean that 
I would suggest to you, I think it could and does mean all of those things, uh, that our discipline and instruction are to be done like Jesus did. They're to be about Jesus. They're to be toward Jesus. So we're helping press our children toward him. But dads, hear this, and then I'll conclude that our aim as dads must be far greater than what the world's aims typically are. Like where fathers in our culture settle for things, and these are noble things, typically. They settle for things like aiming for their children to be happy, right? I just want my kids to be happy. Or that their children are healthy, or that they have a long life, or that they have a prosperity that supersedes mine, and that, or we want them to be successful, whatever we think that means, or well-educated, or well-adjusted, or we want them to be self-reliant, or uh, we want them to be a good citizen. I want them to be a responsible citizen in our society. Or I want them to be virtuous, like generous, or kind, or courageous, those sorts of things. Those are good goals, but they are insufficient. <laughs> like, they are not enough for a Christian father. Like, what Christian fathers, what we are called to do is to, to see our children come to know the Lord himself. To come to know Jesus, not just to become more like me, become a great Goodwin or a great Nelson or a great Topol or whoever. Like our goal is for our children to become a follower of Christ, to, to know him, to follow him, to represent him in the world, to know our heavenly father. That is, should be our greatest joy, is that our children learn to love him, that they join us as children of him. We started by looking how we are capable as dads of provoking anger in our children, right? And we are capable then on the flip side, we are capable of promoting faith, promoting godliness. But the very last thing I want to remind fellow dads with is this, is that we can provoke to anger and that we can promote faith and godliness is to remember this, we cannot produce faith and godliness in our children. You are incapable of that as a dad. I am incapable of that as a dad. That is something that the Spirit of God must do in our children, is that he must take what we teach them. He must take what the church teaches them and breathe life into them. That, I, I don't want us as fathers to bear a burden from this text that we're not intended to bear, to think it is all up to me, that if I work hard enough, if I'm dedicated enough, if I'm consistent enough in my discipline and in my instruction, my children will walk with the Lord. I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could promise you that, but there are testimonies in this room where that has not proven to be true. Until the day those children die, I hold out hope, and I would encourage you to pray for them, that God would save them, that he would take what they were taught as a child and what they're continuing to be called to even as adults, and that he would breathe life into them. But please, dads, fellow dads in the room, do not hear this text. Don't receive it as a burden upon you, and also don't receive it as a guarantee that your children will walk with the Lord if you call them to it. Uh, we must remember as dads to be humble, be prayerful, to be active, yes, to be engaged with our children, to be setting an example, to be disciplining, to be uh, teaching and instructing, but ultimately to cast our children upon the Lord, the one who gave them to us, to, to entrust them to him, to beg him to be at work in their lives, in their hearts, and trust that he can, pray that he will.